uh, in your Bibles now, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter stand. Let, uh, let's stand as we open to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. I believe this is possibly the most misquoted, misinterpreted text in the Bible. If not, it's at least one of the top five. One of the most misquoted, misinterpreted texts in all of the Bible. Matthew 7, beginning with verse 1. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you into pieces. Father, we do thank you for this word and how it instructs and admonishes us to be royal, to be noble in how we evaluate what's going on in this world and what's going on around us. And Lord, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would give us understanding of this text this morning and empower us to live it in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. The success of a TV show called American Idol has been described as unparalleled in broadcasting history. The series was also said by a rival TV executive to be the most impactful show in the history of television. It has become a recognized springboard for launching the career of many artists, such as bona fide stars, according to the Billboard magazine, in its first ten years. Idol spawned 345, 345 billboard chart toppers and a platoon of pop idols including Kelly Clarkson, Carrie Underwood, Daughtry, Fantasia, Ruben Stutter, Jennifer Hudson, Clay Aiken, Adam Lambert, and Jordan Sparks while remaining a TV ratings juggernaut. And I think of one star that wasn't listed in this particular article. Uh, that actually she's the one that I probably like to listen to more than the rest, and she did not win, and I know we have problems with even the title American Idol in Christendom, but her name is Mandisa. In fact, when she was on the show and she had advanced to Hollywood, she was told by one of the judges that she was way too fat to make it. And he was criticizing her weight again and again. The problem is, he looked on the outside, and the Lord looks on the heart. And she went back on the program. As a matter of fact, uh, when she came, it came her time to come before the judges to see if she would advance to another round. Simon was waiting to see what she would say, and she said, I want to tell you what you said, it did hurt me. But I also want to tell you something else. She says, if Jesus can die on the cross, and I love this, she used this opportunity for the glory of God. She said, if Jesus can die on the cross to forgive me of my sins, Simon, I can forgive you for what you said that hurt me. And I said, 
Wow, man, God looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. Sometimes we're quick to judge, but that was there. As a matter of fact, that's what made the television show so famous. We remember those first judges on those first shows, Randy, Paul, and Randy, Paula, and Simon. They were the, really the stars of the show. And now we know that they have new judges and probably better judges, people like Harry Connick that, that seem to, to really know what they're talking about. But it was the, 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 the sharp comments of a particular judge that probably made the show as famous as it was. And I say all that to say this. Many of us feel like we live our lives under the same kind of scrutiny that everybody on the show experienced. Most of us find ourselves grappling with which personality to emulate when it comes to evaluating others. Well, do I want to sound like Simon and just tell them what I think? Or do I want to sound like Paul and be kind of sweet in my remarks? Do I want to sound like Randy, cool, calm, and collective? How, how do I want to come across? And we, we wonder how we're going to be judged, and we're, we're wondering how we're to judge someone else, or we're wondering if, according to this first verse we looked at, should we even make judgment calls at all? I'm reminded of the late uh, Dr. Warren Wearsby, who said that another beatitude should be, blessed are the balanced. And I believe when it comes to this passage, what we often lack is balance. What we see is Christians embracing extremes. Indeed, in Scripture, there's balance in almost every theological area. Biblical balance. When we talk about uh, this, the, the doctrine of salvation and, and is, is a result of divine sovereignty and sovereign grace, sovereign election, or is it man's free will, are we free and responsible agents able to respond to or reject His grace? Well, the Bible gives a balance to that. There is sovereign election and free will and responsibility, and Scripture speaks to both and pulls them together. And when we look at it, there's a, a beautiful balance in Scripture. We talk about salvation, we might think of I had a conversation this past week and even during the revival about lordship salvation and easy believism. And in Scripture, there's a balance between the two. Uh, lordship salvation, you can get to an extreme of works righteousness, but easy believism, you can get to the extreme of intellectual consent, means you're going to heaven, and both are out of balance, and we need to understand that there's biblical balance. Other areas might include what we would call legalism or liberalism, and I think this text will bring a little bit of balance to that. Legalism, where we're adding our own laws to the Scriptures, and liberalism, where we reject even the Scriptures themselves in order to be so-called free. And this morning, I want us to see, when it comes to this area, to judge or not to judge. To judge or not to judge, there's biblical balance, and so the text gives us three cautions on judging. And I want us to look at those cautions one by one, not only for you to understand what might be fair when others are evaluating your life, but how you need to approach this whole idea, this whole concept of judging at all. And so first of all, I want you to see this caution concerning attitude. The first caution is related to attitude. And, and here's the caution, avoid a critical spirit. Avoid a critical spirit. So he says, first of all, judge not or do not judge that you be not judged. And then he explains, for with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. 
With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So there's a caution here. Now the word judge in the Greek is the word krino, which has multiple meanings. Like many words in the English language, there can be multiple meanings in text or context always helps us to discern what it means. The word can mean to evaluate or analyze. Now, I don't think any of us would say that Christians should not evaluate behaviors or analyze or inspect fruit in our own lives or the lives of somebody else. The word can also mean to condemn or to put down. And so we need to look at the context. First of all, the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had warned again and again to be careful of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were those who would not only point out that people were down, they would kick them while they were down and say, too bad that you can't be like me. The Pharisees, much like Simon in the case of Mandisa, would judge according to outward appearance, never seeing the potential she had on the inside and certainly probably never dreaming that she would have been as successful as she has been by the grace of God and for the glory of God. And so, in the context, we're told to to be careful of this. You know, John chapter 3 and verse uh, verse 16, we all have memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, uh, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then in verse 17, it says, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Now, it wasn't, he didn't say there that the world was A-OK. The world was in need of salvation. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say in the following verses, the world already stands condemned. Jesus didn't have to con- come and condemn the world because they were already down. They were already condemned. He came to save the world from the condition that it was in. And so we look at the context of this passage and we're told, don't be like the Pharisees, with this critical spirit kicking everybody while they're down. The context of the whole of Scripture helps us bring further balance. John chapter 7 and verse 24 tells us to not judge by mere appearances, but wait a minute, before we just adopt this phrase that's become cliche with our teenagers today, you know the one I'm talking about, don't judge. Anybody heard that one before? But before we just adopt this cliche, let's remember that he says, Don't judge according to mere appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3, we're told that the believers will one day judge angels. As a matter of fact, Paul is rebuking the church at Corinth. He's saying, why can't you use judgment to deal with some of the behaviors that are being tolerated in the church? One day, don't you understand, one day you're going to judge angels. By now you certainly should be able to use judgment some discernment in how you evaluate the behaviors that you shouldn't be tolerating within the church to judge among yourselves. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, we're told to judge or to test the spirits concerning those teachers that we surround ourselves with to see if they're of God or not. So sometimes when we point out heresy or that somebody's teaching false doctrine or not the whole counsel of the Word of God, somebody else will come along and say, oh, wait a minute, we're not supposed to judge. We are supposed to judge teaching. We're supposed to hold preachers, this pastor included, accountable to whether or not they're preaching and teaching according to the Word of God or according to their own opinion, their own traditions. 
And so we will be held accountable, and we are to hold others accountable. We are to judge those things that are being taught and test the spirits. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Test what is said, hold to what is good, and let go of what is evil. And so we've got to be able to be good judges of that. That's the reason so many young people, when they go off to colleges and state universities, they find themselves abandoning the faith and embracing all kinds of radical doctrines because we've never taught them, we've never taught them how to discern the scriptures to understand whether what they're hearing is of God or not. And so we are to use judgment in those situations. And scripture is to be our objective standard. You watch during any election. This is something that has bothered me from both parties when we see these debates that take place before an election, especially a presidential election. And they assemble a little crowd. It can be at CNN, it can be at Fox News, but they assemble a little crowd that watches the debate, and then they go and they ask this crowd what they thought about the debate. And we have gone from years ago where people would say, I believe or I think, to now where they say, I feel. You watch the debates this year. You watch, in two years from now, presidential campaigns. You watch how the respondents discuss the debates. It will not be, I believe, or we know this to be true, and therefore this candidate was right or this candidate was wrong. What they will say instead is, this one made me feel this way, and that one made me feel this way. We have laid aside any ability to use righteous judgment. We don't think for ourselves. We decide whichever candidate says what makes me feel better, that's who I'm going to vote for. And that's what gets us in trouble as a nation. He says, judge with righteous judgment. That does not mean, however, that we're to have a critical spirit. People should never feel like we're making it impossible for them to win. Never feel like we have such a critical spirit or that we're adding our traditions, our standards, to the Word of God and expecting more out of folks than even God himself expects out of people, or not meeting them with the same grace. How many of you remember playing games with that kid? Maybe it was a board game in the house, or maybe it was uh, uh, some kind of sport that you played outside. How many of you ever remember playing games with that kid? Every time you thought you had him beat, he changed the rules on you. Anybody have a brother or sister like that? I was probably that brother. You know, every time, I I think I got him this time. Oh, no, no, that's not base. This is base over here. Well, how am I going to win if you keep changing the rules on me? You're playing a board game, you know. No, you can't pass go. You can't collect $200. This is the, wait a minute, you changed the rules on me. Even parents playing with their kids when they're small, they're, you know, it looks like you're going to win, so they change the rules on you. Right? That's how some people feel when the church comes at them. They're like, listen, I don't know how to win anymore. I don't know what's right anymore. You keep changing the rules. You keep making them up as you go. No, we need to understand there's an objective standard, and we're to proclaim that objective standard with grace, not with a critical spirit, not making people feel like it's impossible to win. He says if if we're leading this way, it's going to come back to us, verse 2. You use this standard, this standard's going to be used on you. And we're all going to be placed in this area of impossibility where we're always condemning each other, we're always putting one another down, and, and nobody is ever liberated to be all they can be for the glory of God because they've already determined, I can't win, I'll never get it right. Ephesians 4.32. And, and, and I remind a lot of couples of this all the time before they get married and 
Most of us need to remember it after we get married. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So we're to, we're to show that kindness, that forgiving spirit. We don't compromise Scripture. We don't compromise God's standard, but we get rid of a critical spirit. I've heard pastors talk about people in the church that had the gift of criticism. He says, man, this brother, this sister had the gift. Their spiritual gift was criticism. They were going to be against whatever we ever decided to do as a church. The gift of criticism. So he says, this will come back to you. Now, we must call sin, sin, but not make up rules, not add our own standards to the Word of God, not say, well, I feel like this should be the case. Stick with thus saith the Lord, and we're on good, solid ground. Don't make yourself the standard. Don't make your preferences the standard. Don't make your traditions the standard. Allow God's Word to speak for itself and communicate it with grace. Secondly, after we deal with our attitude, see, that's the first thing we need to deal with. We need to make sure, hey, am, am I judging out of a critical spirit? Because if I've just got a critical spirit, then I'm not going to be winsome at all. But secondly, I want us to look past our attitude to our activity. Do we live in humble repentance? Do we live in humble repentance? And this, if the first one deals with a critical spirit, the second one deals with a hypocritical spirit, hypocrisy in and of itself. And so if we don't get this activity, this, this caution of living with humble repentance, we'll forfeit our right to even make value judgments. That's important. If, if it's important for us to judge with righteous judgment, then we need to realize that if we've got the log in our own eye, we forfeit our right to make value judgment. So he says, you know, why are you looking at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't consider the plank, the log, in your own eye? That looks absurd, and it's speaking slightly from hyperbole, but we get the point. That here's a guy walking around with a telephone pole sticking out of his eye, trying to get a speck of sawdust out of his brother's eye. And he says, how can you say to your brother, oh, let, let me get that sawdust out of your eye. And look, a plank is in your own eye. And then Jesus did what Jesus did quite often, especially when the Pharisees were around. He says, hypocrite. The hypocrite meant one who wears a mask, one who was two-faced, one who just couldn't be real. In order to avoid being a hypocrite, by the way, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be real. You just have to be honest. And I think as a church, in order to avoid hypocrisy, I know that there are a lot of people say, man, I'm not going to that church because of all the hypocrites down there. Listen, to avoid being a hypocrite, don't wait till you just get everything perfect, but at least be real about who you are and where you are. And say, here's where I am in my journey. Pray for me. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Here's where I am in my journey. I am, I'm more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, but Lord willing, I'll be more like him tomorrow than I am today. And, and so he says, avoid this spirit of hypocrisy. Live your life in humble repentance. First, take the plank out of your own eye. But notice, the passage does not say, just leave the speck alone in your brother's eye. doesn't say don't help the guy out. He needs some help. It says, be sure you're right with God first. Be sure you've taken care of business in your own life. Be sure you're living in humble repentance before you decide to go and help him out because it will not be received well if he sees that you're not living a consistent Christian lifestyle. 
Now, I've often used, in, in speaking on evangelism and witnessing to our friends, I've often used a quicksand analogy where we imagine somebody's in quicksand and we need to, to leverage ourselves and help them out. But I'm going to expand that analogy this morning a little bit if I could. I'm going to ask some of these young men to come up here and help me. So, uh, Kent, son, you come on up here first. I want to get you to just, I didn't warn these guys I was going to do this. Uh, I want to get you to stand right here at the bottom of these stairs. I want you to pretend that you're drowning in quicksand. Uh, you don't have to dramatize it. Just, just, uh, just. What would you say if you were in quicksand? All right. Hey, let's a little bit louder. Help them in quicksand. All right. Help them in quicksand. Now, there are some people that might be in quicksand and just, just be kind of like I don't even know where I'm at. You know. So, um, just, just, just act like you're one of those guys. Just, just kind of say, No, I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm fine. I'm cool. All right. I got this. Yeah. I'm fine, I'm cool, I got this. If somebody's drowning in quicksand, there's a couple of, uh, of different responses you could have. Now, one of the responses could be the Pharisee when it comes to judging. The Pharisee would stay as far away as he can and says, man, that's quicksand, you got yourself into that mess, you should be more like me, you got what you deserved, you low life. you just stay right there. Right? That's what the Pharisee would do. And so what happens with this judge not passage is a lot of times the pendulum swings to the other side. And so this can't have some friends here. Andrew, Dylan, are y'all friends? We all be friends. Y'all come up here just for a second. Y'all come up here with me just for a second. Again, I didn't warn these guys they were going to do this. But imagine your buddy Kent, he's drowning in quicksand. But you're not the legalist. You're not the Pharisee. You're, you're not the one that's going to walk away and say that. No, what you guys are, you guys are the, what we call the libertines. You're, you're the liberals. You're like, man, he said he's fine. He think he's fine. Now, you can have a couple of options. Um, you could do like Dylan's going to do and just kind of look at him and say, you're cool, that's great, I'm happy for you. All right, so, so that, that's what the world... Judge not. Now, Andrew, he's kind of... He's the party hardy kind of guy, right? He's a he's the real libertine, right? And and so what's the what's the party guy? When you see when you see Ken in the quicksand, you're the party guy, and he says, "I'm fine, I got this." What are you going to do? You're going to jump in with him, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you just jump right in there with him. And, and so that's that's the judge not mentality of the world. He's still drowning in quicksand, and guess what? Now Andrew's in there drowning in the quicksand with him. Even if he wanted to get him out, he couldn't because now they're both stuck in the quicksand. And so they could both be saying, I'm stuck, I'm helped, get me out, or we're just come and join the party, this quicksand feels good, this quicksand is fun, it's going to make my skin look better, it's I love quicksand. Or they could start to cry out, help, get me out of here. Eventually, when it gets up to about right here, you're probably going to want some help. And so Dylan, he's, he's gone now. He's, he, 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 said, he said he's fine. Dylan said, I don't want to judge. Now they're stuck in the quicksand. The Pharisee has said, you got yourself into that mess. You get yourself out. You get what you deserve. What does the balanced Christian do? He comes along and he says, quicksand is bad. Quicksand is wrong. And if it weren't for the grace of God, I would be in the quicksand with you. Now, if I get close to the quicksand, I could end up in there with you. As a matter of fact, if I get close and grab you by the hand, I might fall in there with you. And so I'm going to need some help. Jacob Bass, I'm going to get you to come up here and help me out. So I want, a, I want another strong Christian, one who loves God, one who will hold me accountable. 
And, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, man, we need to stand on solid ground. You pray for me. I'll pray for you. Let's lock arms right here. You're not going to let me fall, are you? you we're going to stand on solid ground. I've got to get these guys out of the quicksand, though, right? So you're not going to let me fall. And I'm going to reach down, and I'm going to pull them out, right? Here we go. Now you're on solid ground, so you're going you're to hold Jacob while I reach down and grab Andrew. We're on solid ground, and we get them out of the quicksand. Y'all give them a hand. All right. See, though, there are the two extremes. There's the, I don't want to judge, so I'm going to let him drown, or I am going to judge and let him drown. But the Christian comes along and says, you know what, I love him, I hate the mess he's in, I've got, I have accountability in my life, lock arms, reach in, and pull them out of the mess that they're in. That is where righteous judgment leads us to a balanced life that makes a difference. And I want us to move from activity Well, I'll come back to that later. I want us to move from activity to admonishments. Admonishments. We think about our attitude. We think about our activity. Then we need to be cautious with our admonishments. Here's the caution. Don't expect depraved hearts to appreciate standards of royalty. Don't expect those who don't know Jesus Christ those who are not exposed to His Word, don't expect them to appreciate standards of royalty. Look at verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Why are we having such a difficult time getting our nation to embrace biblical standards and Christian values? I know I I spoke of elections a moment ago, and during an election season, I know how I will vote. I will vote biblical Christian values. Regardless of the economy or what I think that guy running will do to help my budget, (laughs) I'm going to vote for the sanctity of human life. If I think they will handle the budget better and put more money in my pocket, but they are not pro-life, they're not going to get my vote. I'm going to vote for the family. One man, one woman in marriage. That's a major issue on the ballot. And there are a few that are standing. I'm going to vote that way. But listen, I also understand... Something's attacking me up here. I also understand that this world doesn't get it anymore. They, they don't get these standards anymore. There was a time where we could stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, and they're like, well, yeah, you know you're right. But now they don't get it anymore. And we can argue till we're blue in the face. We can try to convince them, well, this is a Christian nation established on Christian principles, and even if we win the argument, they're not going to embrace it today. They're going to say, well, that may be who we used to. Okay, you won. That's who we used to. It's not who we are today. We can try to convince them pragmatically that what we believe is right and, and true, but that's not what's going to win them today. See, the problem is today, we, you've heard of dinos and rhinos, right? Democrat in name only, Republican in name only. We have a lot of C-I-N-O, Sino, <laughs> Christian in name only. While, while over 80% of our nation claims to be Christian, 
only one out of five, or now it's closer to one out of six, claim to be born again. Only one in six have come to a place in their life where I say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I put my faith and trust in His atoning sacrifice on Calvary's cross and what He did for me. Here's where the problem comes. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. So this is what he's talking about with the casting the pearls before swine. Sometimes we're making judgments to people who aren't ready to receive it. We're making an evaluation, and people are like, I don't get that, I don't understand that, you're crazy, you're, you're way out in left field. And so our, our greatest articulation is like the one, our pearls before swine, he says. Second Peter chapter 2 and 21 and 22 said, for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandments handed down to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Why does a dog return to his own vomit? Because he's a dog. Why does a sow return to the mud? Because he's, or she is a sow. Why do pigs wallow in mud? Because they're pigs. They haven't been transformed. They need to be changed from the inside out. They haven't learned to appreciate the things of royalty. I had a friend tell me that after he had gone with teen missions on a trip to Haiti, that after a return trip to Haiti, that it broke his heart. He said on that teen missions trip, we did something we thought was going to be lasting and it was going to be such an impactful event. He said we went and we built rabbit cages for them. And we purchased all these rabbits because after all, like no other animal, rabbits multiply. And we explained to them, you feed these rabbits, you take care of these rabbits, these rabbits are going to multiply, you're always going to have rabbits, and when you have X number of rabbits, you can kill and eat rabbits, you're, you're not going to go hungry, you're going to be in good shape, you just have to work this process. So they taught them how to care for and, and, and how to work this process and how they would always have rabbits because rabbits would multiply. And then they left the country. And then when he came back, he said, guess what? The rabbits were all gone. And he found out that they had not lasted for a week. Why? Because that was Haiti. And in Haiti, you don't think about next week. You don't think about tomorrow. You eat for today. You live for today. You get one day at a time what you have to to get through that day. They, they didn't understand it. They couldn't appreciate it. They had never experienced it. And so many times as Christians, we're out there shouting to unregenerate people. We're, we're shouting to lost people. These are the standards. These are the standards. This is how you must live. This, this is God's way. This is the only way to approach this situation. And they're saying, you're crazy. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand that. So biblical principles are foreign concepts to those who don't know the Lord. Now you say, well, so we just give up. No, 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 we don't give up. That's why the gospel is more important. And this is a hard one for me, church. That's why the gospel is more important than beautifully articulated ethics. See, I want to articulate the ethics. I want to explain to them why they should be living this way and not that way. But what the Scriptures are telling me is they can't live this way until Jesus comes into their heart and into their life and changes them from the inside out. So as a church, a lot of times we're shaking our fists in the face of the world. We're drawing swords with lost people saying, I want to win, not you. And God is saying, listen, they don't have the ability to even fight with you over that. They need to be saved. 
They need to be changed. You're trying to get them to change their behavior from the outside in. Let me change their heart, and I will change them from the inside out. And then so, while, while we stand on Christian ethics, and we stand for our biblical values, and I will even vote for our biblical values, because I believe those are principles that God blesses, at the same time, I have to remember, and we have to realize that evangelism, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, is even more important and far more important than advancing our ethics because until they receive Christ, they do not have the ability to embrace or live out those ethics that we're advancing. So we must stand for righteousness, but our goal is not to draw swords with the loss. It's to seek to win them while we reject the unbiblical values they embrace. Consider Colossians 4, 6. Let your words be with grace, seasoned with salt. Be winsome. Or Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Use discernment. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. The next verse says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he become wise in his own eyes. What, what, what the Hebrew is talking about there is use discernment. Realize, are they going to receive this or not? So we've got to be careful, church. Listen, you get mad at somebody and the way they're acting, don't go on Facebook and beat them up in front of everybody. Man, I see that happen all the time. It just kind of breaks my heart. Somebody got mad at the way they were treated, the way somebody was acting. They go on social media, they tweet, and they, they go on Facebook, and they just beat them up. And here's a person that needs Jesus. So share the love of Christ, Facebook and social media, all these other great places to tell people Jesus loves them. God has a wonderful plan for their life. It's not a place to go and beat people up. In some cases, it's even their own family members. It's not, that's not the place for that. Go and love them and seek to win them so they can understand that they can live out God's standards because God is changing them from the inside out. See, there's a balance here, folks. Judge not, lest you be not judged. He then explains it. It has to do with our attitude. Don't let it be one of a critical spirit. It has to do with activity. Live in humble repentance, turning from your own sin so that you can correct others. Galatians 6, 1-4 through 4, tells us, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, go and correct the one who has fallen, been, been entangled in a sin. And so let's apply God's standards and a lot of God's love in how we approach this situation and judge with righteous judgment. Judge with righteous judgment. Pull the people. Listen, the old hymn writer said it best. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters, from the quicksand, right? From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. And if God's love lifted us, it's God's love in and through us that's going to lift other people. Would you bow your heads with me?